I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today, our guest is Jason Pappas. Now, Jason, I met at the University of South Carolina, where he was our athletics academic advisor. He worked primarily with football and baseball. So he has experience in helping to please high-profile coaches. Jason, tell us a little bit about your sports administration journey. So my journey started here at Florida State University, but I for me though, I, I had a passion, love for sport. Um, and, and from the early on age and I played all sports growing up, it was a way for me to really, um, not just develop my physical skills, but it was a way for me to connect with others, um, from all walks of life, demographics, uh, ethnicities. And I just love the team aspect. And I played all three sports growing up, football, basketball, baseball. And I, I was fortunate enough, um, growing up in Titusville where the weather was great in Florida, you got to play all year round. And, and so for me, you know, I, that's all I did, even in the summers before we had travel ball and all this that that's uh, kids are actually involved in now. So for me, uh, it was just a way for me, I would get up for, uh, for school and I wouldn't get home until eight, nine o'clock after practice. And I do studies and it just kept me structured and focused. And as a result, um, you know, I always wanted to play at the college level. Well, I, you know, for me, I was small. I didn't have it, but I had a heart, I think. And I, I just gave it all I had. And then I, I tried to use that uh, mantra throughout my life. And, and so when I had the opportunity to go to Florida state for uh, summer football camp, I did okay. And I was invited to come on to, to participate as a, a preferred walk-on back in the fall of 1993. Uh, during that experience, um, I, I felt to myself, I, I always wanted to go to big school. Florida state was just right at home. And at that time, you know, obviously with Bobby Bowden and what he was able to do, you know, in the seventies and in the eighties, and now going into the nineties was something special. So I wanted to be a part of that team. Right. Well, as I went through that summer and getting up to Tallahassee uh, before my freshman year, being a part of that team, I realized quickly that my physical attributes would never even attain the ability to ever get funding, much less ever to see the field. So I wanted to find another way to get involved with the program. And as a result, I, I found out that to be a student manager, which at the time I had no idea what that meant. You know, and, and, and you know, when you think about student manager, you think about cleaning jocks, you think about laundry and all those things. And that's basically part of it. But, but the other side of it too, was an opportunity for me to actually understand how a big time football program worked at that time. And, um, and so for me, I was able to do that for four years under a guy named Mark Richt, uh, who was a quarterback, uh, coach and, and, and then eventually ended up being the offensive coordinator, um, ended up working for four years under his direction. And in my freshman year, we had a guy named Charlie Ward, Danny Cannell, and then we had Thad Busby and Marcus Outson and Chris Winkie came in long later on. And so I was able to really develop my skills and understanding that look, 
at the time when I went to Florida state, I didn't know you could even, you know, work in sport, much less making a career out of it. So, um, that was my first exposure to sport. And so for that in itself, I was able to do multiple internships during my undergrad years. So one being in sport information, one being in compliance with, uh, uh Bob Minix and, and Brian Magnard and Bill Schultz, and, and then, uh, working in facilities events management and working in ticketing. And I quickly realized that not internships were really the key. I mean, the key in the sense that, yeah, the knowledge base is important, but just as important is understanding that it's what you want to do in sport versus what you don't want to do. And I, and I, I got a chance to figure that out. And, and you got to remind I worked all these internships, like, like, like full-time jobs for free. And so as a result, I was exposed to academics. And to me, I thought this was the greatest way to give back outside the coaches, we had the most opportunity to make an impact at the time from an academic perspective, having that interaction with the student athlete, because I wanted to, I wanted to make sure our student athletes understood that, you know, yeah, your sport's important. Yeah. You hope to make the lead, but the reality is not going to be there. And a lot of these kids were first generation college students. And so I wanted to make sure that they didn't let the sport use them, but in turn, they use the sport to get the most of their opportunity through education. And to me, that's where it's about. Right. So um, I, I quickly realized that's what I want to do. Uh, Mark Rick told me, Pat, I interviewed with Jim Donnan at Georgia to be a, a video guy for um, the offensive side of football. When I got back from that interview, Coach Rick said, you know, Pat, you don't want to get into coaching. You, you, you want family. You want life. You go into administration. And so that when I realized I was offered a graduate assistant for football for academics under guiding Magdi El Shahawi who brought me aboard there for two years, got my master's paid for great experience. And I had an interview with the university of Alabama when I graduated, I didn't get it. And I ended up following my wife at the time to Charlotte, North Carolina to get my first full-time job making $20,000 a year with no benefits for the Carolina Panthers in 1998. And, and that was a job that really humbled me. It was a job that really realized that I, I definitely knew what I wanted to do versus what I didn't want to do. And after spending a season with the Panthers, um, I had the opportunity to go down to the university of South Carolina when Lou Holtz got the job back in 1999. And I would make that commute right off of I-77 there at 430 in the morning, driving down to get settled in before a guy named uh, Ray Tanner invited me to his home to spend uh, three months with him and, and Karen and, and, um, and his family, but only them two at the time. And to be able to help kind of get situated down in Columbia before my wife moved down um, and which, you know, was a blessing because I didn't realize then that he was going to be my other mentor in my career, uh, Ray Tanner. And he took me in and was just an unbelievable mentor for me in, in my young years and, and development and understanding um, how to really treat people, but also understanding the value of sport. And um, he was our baseball coach at the time. Uh, got settled down there, spent eight years there, six years under Holtz and, and two years with Spurrier before I got recruited back out to the University of Southern California with my other third mentor, Magdi El Shahawi, um, who recruited me as the assistant AD for academics. And while I was at South Carolina, rally education, I got my second master's paid for. And, you know, I got my first master's paid for it as GA. I've got my, basically my undergraduate paid for because I was a student manager. Now I had the opportunity to get my doctoral paid for based on the fact that I worked at USC and had the opportunity to do that as one of the, um, kind of the, the, the thing that really uh, gave me the ability to say, I mean, this is something I need to look at. And going to LA and under Pete Carroll and, and having that heyday under, under Matt line and Reggie Bush during that heyday was just a great experience for me. And, uh, in terms of college athletics, I had the opportunity to work the ACC, the SEC now at the time was the PAC 10 and eventually turned to the PAC 12, um, when they added, uh, Colorado and, and Utah, um, uh, before I left. And then, so, uh, Florida state called me, um, you know, to come back home, uh, to be the, uh, associate AD for academics. Um, I did that. Um, we helped bring in Jameis and, and Jimbo Fisher and I got on that. And, you know, for me, it was opportunity to really get back to a place that's given me so much. And that's where I'm home. And I'm here at Florida state. And after a year of that, you know, I realized that, you know, as 
college athletics has turned into a business is, is what it is even more so now with NIL, sport wagering, CFP expansion playoff, the men's basketball uh, tournament television, all those things have really, for me, uh, given me an appreciation of what I do today. And, and I've been starting my 10th year as a faculty member of sport management. Uh, it's been a blessing. Uh, I couldn't tell you more than ever that it, it's really, I had no idea when I started my career that I would be in academia. But in terms of finding your true passion and love, I, I found it here as a faculty member at FSU in sport management. And I oversee my exp our exponential learning. I help our students develop uh, opportunities in the industry. That's why I'm here in Milwaukee to meet with the Bucks, the Brewers, the Packers, GMR marketing to help establish routes for our students as far as internships uh, to be able to have that segue. Because a lot of as we know in sport, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and also be, just because they know you, you've got to make sure you prove yourself. And that's where I help mentor our students in understanding their work ethic, understanding why they're one of work in sport and making sure that they get um, really an opportunity. But at the end of the day, they have to do their part. And so I've uh, been here 10 years. I absolutely love it. We started out with just five or six students doing internships a semester. Uh, as of this past semester, we have 92 students. Uh, we have partnerships with the CFP, the Super Bowl, uh, for our students to take trips. We're going to the uh, NCAA Final Four, bringing 43 students over there to work the men's Final Four uh, in April uh, that we started with the NCAA Championships and the Dr. Joni Comstock and just a phenomenal opportunity for our students to really uh, utilize and take the advantage of opportunities uh, that there are there. And a lot of students don't know that. And so, and that's what I kind of do. I help guide them and lead them and kind of help them kind of navigate the industry of sport. I was long-winded, but that's my no, journey. That, I mean, that is excellent. What I hope the students heard was that you have to excel in a lot of different areas. He mentioned being a team manager, working in sports information, compliance, event management, ticketing, and academics. And for those that are aspiring on the athletic director track, you have to know all of those areas to successfully manage all of those areas. Now, Jason, you worked in athletics academic advising for a while. Yep. What Excuse skill sets do students need to develop in order to be successful in that area of athletics administration? Well, first and foremost, communication. And I, I can't stress that enough. Everybody says communication, communication. Well, no, what I mean by communication is simply this. You have to be transparent in a way that it's almost like you have so many different constituents that you have to communicate with from coaches to athletic administrators to a faculty to staff on campus that you've got to be somewhat knowledgeable on how to address those constituents. And, and so communication is so key. And one thing I learned quickly is that it's not about knowledge is power in terms of trying to gather as much. So everybody wants to come to you. It's about spreading that knowledge across. And, and, and what I mean by that, even with my interns, I want them to be able to sit in the meeting just to be a sponge. So they have a knowledge base. They have some ideas to bring to the table. Right. But in academic support, you really got to be able to communicate and, and, and just from all different levels and, and don't feel like, Oh, well, that person might get mad. It's not about getting mad or upset or it's about figuring out, all right, we may have a situation. How do we resolve? that situation. Let's think about some of those things that we can handle. So communication first and foremost. The second piece is I think you have to be able to be having the ability. What is your reasons? What are your reasons that you want to be an academic support? You know, because a lot of oh, the glam, you get to work with coach and it's not. No, it's about education. It's about I want to give back in a positive way. And, and I want to hold these kids accountable, not just for uh, their athletic prowess, but, but just as important their academics, because a lot of these students, as I mentioned earlier, they don't understand how important it is to get that education, to provide more opportunities 
opportunities. I'm not saying they're going to make more money. I'm not going to say that, but at the likelihood they are, but it's going to provide them opportunities and we need to hold them accountable, making sure they go to class, making sure that, you know what, they're going to their sessions on time, being accountable, having just a simple life skills that are ultimately going to carry them a long way. And, and so I, I learned that quickly. It's not about being their friend. It's not about, you know, obviously you want a good trusting relationship, which is first and foremost, but you want to make sure you hold them accountable because you truly do care about them. Because at the end of the day, when they leave those institutions, when they leave those opportunities within that support, when they get out in the real world, whether it's professional sport or not, they're going to be on their own. And if we don't provide them that accountability and we don't hold them to it, then we as fact or as academic sport in athletics, we do them a disservice. We do a justice because a lot of the kids are already been pushed through the system because how good they are on the courts or how great on their fields and how five stars they are. And you know, they wanted this and people looking at meal check after him, but no, that's not what it is. They're human beings. And if we treat them as such that they're not this high and mighty, but yet ultimately that we want to truly care about them. And that at the end of the end, they'll see it hopefully sooner than later so that we as academic support will be able to take that knowledge base to the coaches and to administrators to understand what's important. And I think when you have that, it's the greatest job in the world. Now, how important is academic advising for the athletics teams in the athletic department? Well, you know, it's one of those, not only is it so critical, but it's so, it's so thankless because nobody thinks about it, right? Nobody thinks about, well, you know, oh, they're just there, you know, just to, to work with the athlete and just get them through the system to be somewhat uh, what they call el- eligible, right? Uh, but at the end of it, it's, it's not more than that. I, I think a lot of people don't realize these student athletes, it's a full-time job. You know, they're, they're spending hours and hours within their job. They say it's called CARA and, 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 and volunteer. You know, it's, it, you know, a lot of these kids have the, the understanding that they have to be in a, a strength and conditioning. They have to be at the workouts. They have to be at film. They have to be at treatments for athletic training. They have to be um, in their sessions with tutoring, uh, practice, travel, all those things take a lot of their time. And, and what happens is students don't realize how to manage all that. And where academic sport comes in is where they can help kind of um, organize and break things down for them to be almost like their own educators within the system of education, to be able to help them become better organized, to help them understand what's important, what's a priority. How do they study? Do you have a learning disability? If you do, let's, let's figure out ways that we can be able to assist with that, you know, whether it's through medication or whether it's through extended time. So, you know, academic sport done right is so critical. And I would argue it's probably the most important thing within in college athletics. And, and I think what happens is why, as we talk about the revenue stream of college sports, we kind misstep about the student welfare uh, of the student and, and what that looks like from an educational perspective. And, and I think that gets lost. But with that being said, um, athletic academic sport is so critical, and, and especially at the levels that we're dealing with uh, when we talk about Power Five or just college division one athletics and because of this, the stress that's required within their sport. Now, how did you make the transition from full-time athletic administration over into the classroom as the professor and the mentor. Well, you know, it was interesting. You know, I, I love Florida State. I thought for sure I was going to, you know, be in athletic administration forever. Um, but what happens is, you know, we all go through things in life. And, and, and for me, you know, I was in a crossroads where, you know, there's things that I saw and in, in, in throughout my career in 16 years working in, in college athletics that I didn't always agree with. And just because you agree, agree or disagree, it doesn't really hold a whole lot of water. And, and I felt at the time, you know, obviously winning football is so critical at our level. And, and, and so, you know, what happens sometimes is the precedence of winning takes away what doing things the right way and doing the way that we hold our kids accountable. Uh, and, and so for me, you know, my department chair, Dr. Jeff James, who is my, my, my final mentor, that's really made a huge impact in my life. Uh, his dad was a pastor, grew up in West Texas, 
Texas, uh, really transformed the curriculum here at Florida State uh, Sport Management. I mean, he took the the, the rigor and, and transformed it. He's, he's all about holding the kids accountable. It's all about a brand. Uh, so we had a lot of uh, things in common during my uh, time over in athletics. And, and because we saw eye to eye, uh, he gave me the opportunity to come over to the academic side uh, from athletics to really take the knowledge base of what I've learned in my 16 years in athletics and put it into the classroom. And then what I saw was that it was a huge thing for me because at the time, you know, I was spending a lot of my time with 80% of the problems and, and, and I didn't get to enjoy the kids that wanted to be there. Right. Because I was spending on putting out fires or I was trying to deal with the kids that didn't want to be there and chasing down. And so I felt like, you know, sometimes I was spinning my wheels and as a result, you know, it was almost refreshing when I had the opportunity to come over on the academic side, because now I have students that want to be there. They want to have a passion to want to work with sport. And then for me, it was just like watering the flowers what I was doing. It was really just giving them guidance and, and, and just getting them advice to, to, to kind of figure out how to be successful. And, and um, for those that follow it, typically, they, you know, we don't have any problems getting jobs or internships and, and really finding what their love is. And so um, within that uh, frame of transformation, you know, I saw an opportunity for me to come in and I saw we were only doing five or six interns a semester. I saw that students were getting jobs at Enterprise and there's nothing wrong with that, but their degree was in sport. I said, well, why is that? And a lot of it was because they weren't getting that exponential learning, even though they graduated from Florida State, they had a great GPA and the degree set sport management, they were working outside of sport. And, and so I was like, why is that? And I kind of figured out it. And, and so what I did, I started traveling traveling around the state, developing opportunities for our program and, and Southeast and use my current connections at the time of those 16 years and brought him over to Florida state and just continued to grow those over the past 10 years. And as a result, you know, we've really done some good things. And ultimately I think it, because of that transformation from athletics to academics has really um, helped students kind of understand the politics of sport, understand the athletic culture, understanding the work ethic that needs to take place, understand that you're here for the right reasons. Um, you know, as you know, Marley, all, all these students want to, they want to be athletic directors and GMs. But the reality of that, the likelihood is slim to none. Uh, if you know the the, 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 the true measures percentage of that's going to happen. So I try to introduce some other avenues uh, in sport and try to say, look, that's not going to happen. You know, what you talk about being a GM, what does that look like? Tell me what that means to you. What is an athletic director? And, and so you try to educate them early on. So they get the understanding of what it's like to work in sport and you grow from there. So I've been truly blessed. Uh, people all the time say, Pat, you've got a lot of energy. Um, and I think because of that, um, you know, I'm able to put that in the classroom and I'm not your typical professor. I think, I think I kind of changed the mold a little bit and, um, it, it's definitely helped to our advantage, I think. And, and so as a result, we we've done some good things here in the last 10 years. Um, but, uh, but my goal has always been to spot the student. It's all about giving back. And as I tell students, it's not about the money you make or the titles you've earned in your life. It's about how you made and maybe even a small impact or difference in people's lives is what's going to be remembered uh, when you leave this earth. And so I get to go to work every day, excited to maybe make that difference. And money's not never been a driving force, nor has titles, but it's all about paying the way forward and, and getting that satisfaction of making a positive difference. Now, when you're speaking with this employers about hiring your students, what are the skill sets that they're seeking the most? Yeah. Well, the two biggest ones is number one is what I call likability. Are, are students able to uh, be in an environment where they can be able to get along in the team setting, right? It's not about me. It's about we, and it's a different, 
it's, it's, it's the same thing that we talk about within the team chemistry. Um, you know, are you able to, to work with numerous people? Are you able to um, deal with conflict resolution? Um, are you there for the right reasons? And, and, and in our generation, more so than ever with social media and the way th- students think, you know, they, they come in with that instant gratification that they, they, they want to be entitled. Uh, the entitlement is I've never seen anything like it. Um, and, and so they don't want to necessarily work for it. So the other side of it, of the skill set is just work ethic. And when I mean by work, ethic, it's easy said it. No, no, that you, it's not an issue. It's not, you know, nine to five. It's you'll be, I want to get the job done. And, you know, it may have to be at work in the home at weekends. You may have to work in there, but reality is this, the job just needs to get done. And I'm fortunate to be in this space. I'm, I'm fortunate. And, and just realize that this is a great opportunity. You're not digging ditches. You're, you're doing something that you love to do and, and show that with attitude. And I would say that's the final thing. Have a positive attitude, not necessarily energy. Some people have are introverts and I get that, but have a, have an attitude that is, is eager to, to want to um, get the job done, show that you care, show that you want to be able to. And I think those three things are probably the most important thing, attitude, work ethic, and just understanding how to be able to um, have that likability personality. Now, for those students that want to go to graduate school, what skills do they need to focus on as an undergraduate to make them a competitive candidate? Well, the, the thing I tell our students all the time, look, you know, you know, go to school, get your grades, those, those things, but get involved. I, I look for undergrads that want to go to grad school that have been involved. And that could be either fraternities or sororities. Uh, that could be um, volunteering for the NCAA first and second round women's basketball tournament here. We just hosted the NCAA cross country event. I had 60 of my students volunteer and they might be just staying there. But the fact that they've got to see how a major NCAA championship event work is so critical for their development. Um, you know, we are, I've developed a partnership with, uh, with our athletic department. I would argue 40% of their work staff, whether it be ticketing, whether it be event management, whether it be um, facilities, whether it be compliance, comes from our, our students um, because we've done such a great job of having those uh, partnerships and relationships of understanding the quality of a student that the athletic department is going to get. But in turn, our students are going to give back a, a great opportunity for them to learn, to be exposed, to understand what the industry is about. So when I look for undergrads is to be able to get involved in all levels. And that's just volunteer, you know, even service learning, giving back to your community um, really uh, excites me. But when I see a student or an undergrad that look into grad school and they don't have any volunteer opportunities, they didn't do anything within our backyard. We have three major universities. FAMU, I have a great partnership with Courtney Gosha. I love the HBCU setting. I love the TCC, the junior college, because it develops our student skills and taking those skills and transfer them at any level, because those same things that they're doing at those institutions are going to be exactly the same way that's going to be located at our institution. And I would argue within professional sports at some level. So getting involved is probably the most important uh, aspect that I look for undergrad students. So you need to show that you really want to work in this area. And a lot of times you have to do that by volunteering. So you have to realize early on that this is not a career where you're likely going to make millions. Right. You can make a difference and you have to stand out. So many people want jobs in this area that students have to stand out so that employers want them. 100%. Now, the experiential learning that you're doing at Florida State, explain to our students how that's different than your just traditional classroom theory. Yeah. One of the things that I learned quickly is that internships are a dime a dozen. And when I say that is that, 
you know, when I got here, there was no rhyme or reason why students were, were registering for internships. There was no checks and balance of internships. So what I did was, you know, I put a, uh, what we called a hold on it. And so I developed a, what's called an approval form that I have to approve through their supervisor, through the student, where that uh, supervisor lists the learning objectives of what they're going to be learning during that experience or during that semester. How are they going to get trained on those learning um, uh, objectives throughout the course of the term and a detailed work schedule of what they're doing? Because within internships, 90% of them are going to be unpaid. So that's understood. Okay. So, but with that being said, I want to make sure that our students are getting provided a phenomenal experience in terms of the learning aspect, because they'll have to do multiple assignments. They have to do a big PDF project in my class to showcase it. And if they don't have the substance or that I call it, or, or the material that, 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 that really truly is, is what's valued within an internship, then I won't approve it. And so what I did was I, I started formulating that. And, and so I developed uh, partnerships and, and, and opportunities for students to get involved outside of the class. And so what I'm a big believer is great. You learn this theory, you learn sport law. How does that apply in what you want to do? And that could be ticketing. It could be facility events, liability, tort law. We, somebody gets hurt. What, what do you do? Right. So let's, let's get exposed to that. Um, because just because you learn something in the classroom may not necessarily be understood how to transfer that within, you know, the, the everyday workforce or, or in, in exponential learning. So um, I made it very clear to our students that, yeah, internships are important. But what I want to make sure you understand is that, yeah, you're not just going through the motions, but you're actually self-reflecting on what you're learning across the board. Because you could be talking about, you know, a meeting. You could be talking about a political issue that came about, how to deal with that political through political skill that maybe you don't necessarily know how to deal with that based on what you learn in the classroom. So uh, internships are, for me, are so valuable in making sure that our students get a good experience because there's some companies out there that just use students for free free labor, what it comes down to. And I won't work with those companies. And, I, and I've had issues with that over the years and um, and they know that. And they try to come back, oh, it's things are changing this and that. But um, at the end of the day, it's about being an advocate for your student. But as I've told our students, in order to get the most value out of your internship is what they need to put into it. It's what they put into it is what typically you get out of it. And so just because you got done processing a ticket and form for the season tickets, go talk to the big man. What else can you do? Did you talk about using Photoshop to maybe enhance some of the new upcoming marketing plans for ticket sales? Have you gone to um, the other tech and sales to, uh, for boosters to kind of see what type of plans are they going to have from a marketing strategy point for the next upcoming baseball season that's not started yet? So I tell students, you know, master your craft and what you do at your current internship. But then once you do that, go on to other areas to be able to gain additional experience. Because number one, that shows that you're committed. But number two, it gives you an opportunity to learn additionally to what you're already scheduled to do. That's great. That's great information. Uh, mental health has been in the news a lot lately. And coming out of COVID, a lot of our students had a lot more challenges returning to the university and returning to the classroom. What do you see as the university's role in helping to support not just the student athletes, but our students in general with mental health challenges? You know, I, I'll be honest with you, 20 years ago, I'd have thought, well, you know, mental health is, you know, you don't have a purpose or, you know, I, I didn't believe, no, 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 that has changed for me over 20 years. I'm very spiritual. Um, but what I've seen in the last year and even two years in terms of mental health is unlike I've ever seen. And I used to be all black and white, or if you don't go to class, listen, what I've learned in just the two years coming off COVID, and for me, I'll be honest with you, it, it it was very, very difficult from a mental space for me teaching class behind a computer. Yeah, it's great to learn new technology. It's great to be somewhat, uh, you want to call a master of Zoom, 
but I had a real struggle mentally uh, to be involved in, in, in a computer and not being in my development that it really took a toll on me mentally. And so I could, so I took that experience and applied it to students. And so as we slowly got back into the classroom, you know, I was the first one to volunteer last spring. I want to teach in person. I had my mask. I had a huge lodge auditorium separating the students. And it was a challenge to teach back in person. But for me personally, I need to get to know the student. I got to know their personality. I got to get them engaged. It's not just being behind a computer. And I think students as a whole got used to that experience and got a little lazy uh, in terms of having to find parking, have to go back into the classroom, having to present, having to be in the student, but it helps them feel uncomfortable to be able to feel comfortable over the time. And so, but with that being said, I, I realize that there's some students that can um, transfer that much more quickly or more healthier than others. And so the university and just the athletic as a whole has to really uh, support mental health for so many different reasons. Uh, because the, the fact of the matter is that mental health is, is a continuing phenomenon, which I would argue that has always been there, but we didn't address it the way we are trying to combat it now more than ever to really be able to be supportive. And so what I realize is as, as just as a support for, for students is that when they come to me and when you build that trust and they need some assistance that I'm willing to, you know, do whatever it takes to help assist that where before I'd be like, well, you know, you knew this before you know, it was in the syllabus. So I've been kind of understanding that there's things that happen to others, but you know, that's why I sent them to, you know, I offered, I'm a huge counselor. I, I want them to get help. They need go see a counselor. We need to be able to provide those services for our students to get that assistance and, and don't feel like, oh, well, that's not my area. Well, if they come to you, you need to just refer them to that area. Hey, I'll pick up the phone for you. You want me to make the, here's the number. Why don't you go ahead and schedule the point right here and there. It makes me feel better when, when you leave here, but it's our responsibility to encourage students if they are in that form to be able to get that needed help. We're actually doing a grant that we just got through the ACC uh, with two of our uh, faculty members to, to identify uh, mental health among student athletes within their social media through data mining to, to, to determine different themes because a lot of student athletes or in students in general feel like from a pride perspective, they're not willing to say, you know, I'm depressed or I, I, they mask it because, oh, I'm this big, tough person or, or whatever. And so they don't feel um, willing to to allow themselves to, to say they have a problem or have it, you know, mental health. And so with this research, we're looking at data to be able to help administrators and, and counselors across the university to use the data to determine there may be someone here you may want to refer to through through based on what they're posting or what they're saying and, and those things. And so I think some of those analytic pieces that are going to help students from a confidentiality standpoint to be able to reach out to them to get the needed help they need from a mental health perspective for sure. So Jason, what's the one thing you wish you knew before you became a professor? You know, when I think about that question, I think about when I was a student and, you know, what, what were the professors that I enjoyed the most in terms of going to class and, you know, looking forward to learning. And the one thing I wish I would have learned before my professor was to be able to be a little bit more, um, you know, at the time when I first started, uh, a little bit more flexible and, and a little bit more patient. Um, and, and because, you know, you know, sometimes when your experience are one that, oh, this needs to be this way, it has to be that way, that sometimes you don't know what those other students are going through. You don't know, you know, what they've experienced through that time. And there's things that um, I wish as a professor, even as an administrator, oh, I could, I wish I was a little bit more patient sooner 
Um, it's taught me patience as a result. It's taught me to be much more flexible uh, in certain situations. And it depends, you know, obviously each situation has its own um, criteria, but uh, I wish I was a little bit more patient and a little bit more flexible um, before being, uh, if I would have known sooner, it would help my transition a lot, much more smoothly for sure. Now, why should students consider going into teaching sports administration? Well, there's no better time right now to come in, um, not, not just within the industry, but even as, a, as an instructor, as a teacher, because the, the, when you think about physical education the way we know it, you know, that was it. That was it. And, and, and you know, we PE coaches, coaches, and that's it. Well, it has absolutely transformed. In fact, some states are eliminating PE. And as a result, even in colleges, physical education departments are getting um, eliminated and sport management programs are overtaking those spaces. Um, but, but the other thing as an instructor, we need good instructors to teach our future leaders, you know, ethics, integrity, understanding that, yeah, the revenue stream is important. But there's so many different ways to do it. Now, sport wagering is now going to be legal. The job market is going to be so much, uh, much, much more enhanced. Uh, you're going to have NIL uh, issues that are coming back. Everybody wants to be an agent through NIL to be an advisor for those things. They're calling up uh, all their uh, rosters to see how they can be able to get them the deals that then they get a percentage of. And, and so really having educators that are going to work in that space to teach our future leaders about integrity, about holding um, the, the, the true points of education, to be able to do, have the, the strong leadership that's really going to move this industry forward because as we've looked at it over the last year, you know, it's all about producing the bottom line. And, and I think whether it's winning or, or money, that's obviously important because it's a business, but there's other avenues that if we teach our student, um, students as a whole are going to be able to come in and really take it to the next level. So I think there's no better time um, for instructors now to come in sport just because of opportunity, but I think also too, to be able to craft them in a way that we need the new type of leadership that is such needed in, in sport. What has been your biggest challenge or mistake and how did you overcome it? Well, that's a great question in the sense that, you know, one of the things that for me professionally, one of the biggest mistakes is sometimes I was quick to respond or quick to make change. And I think one of the things that I learned over that mistake was that it's okay to come into a situation and just evaluate, not say anything, not to make decisions, not to just, just kind of absorb the process. And don't come into a situation thinking you know it all. Don't think you're coming in a situation, oh, this needs to be fixed here. This, no, 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 no. Be patient enough, evaluate over a period of time of, 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 of whatever you're looking at from a staff, from an organization, from a, just a daily job responsibility. And not be, don't be too quick to just make decisions. Be mindful, be thoughtful, bring others involved in, in that you trust to help you with those decisions. And so the way I overcame that was to be able to now just, you know, before I make a decision, before I, have, I just self-reflect on what that decision is going to entail, what's that going to, and who is that going to affect and what's the bottom line of that decision, right? So making sure that you really are thoughtful in the way you make those decisions. Yeah, so often um, young professionals come into a situation and they want to prove how valuable that they are, that they just want to stop, start changing things. And they don't want to look at the persons who are there who have the organizational history to so understand why things are done a certain way at 100%. that institution or in that organization, because each one right. is so different. 
Oh, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. And I think that goes back to, you know, hurry up, let's get it done. Oh, we got to do this. It's, it's, a, it's that instant. We got to get, you know, in, instead of realizing, and that could be maturity, that could be just, you know, a lot of factors. But one thing I could just say is just, just as you said, Marlon, is just be patient. Take it and understand why that process is done that way. Understand, oh, and that's why you do that. Oh, I didn't realize that component was real. And then you start realizing a better picture and not thinking, oh, well, I'm here to, no, you're not here to fix it. You're here to maintain the success, help maybe better uh, systems based on what you know over time and not come in here, uh, bla- fires are blazing, right? Um, to be able to be able to have the knowledge base. And, that, and that's, and that's I think, so important for young professionals when they come into, you know, and just to enjoy the process. I just tell students all the time, don't worry about what your next job is. Don't worry about you're not making this amount of money. Embrace and love the journey. You know, yeah, you may not, you've applied for 60 jobs, right? You may not have even a call back for any of those jobs. Maybe you only got one interview, but listen, it's the process. If, if it was easy, everybody would do it. I tell my students, I, I said, at the end of the day, something's going to happen. You just got to be patient and enjoy the journey. It, be exposed because listen, a lot of our students don't have kids. They don't have, they don't have a mortgage. They don't have the type of financial responsibilities that they'll have as they get older. So this is the time to really embrace the journey and get as much knowledge, get much learning and to market themselves from that experience more than any other students. Nobody off the streets can just apply for a sport job and think they're going to get, they're not. There's simply not. So how do you do that? Well, you've got to do the process. You've got to go through the journey to be able to make sure that you are going to be marketable for what that company or that team or, or that particular individual is looking for in order to be able to get that job. Now, we both know that nothing in life is free. What yeah. sacrifices do you think young professionals need to understand and be aware of that they're going to have to make if they want to succeed in this area? Well, first and foremost, you're not doing it. For, you know, I tell students, if you're worried about the money, if you're worried about the titles, don't come to sport. And we have enough students that apply for our program. We had to turn away so many this past year, more so than ever, because of COVID with job market, because we waived the GRE, because, um, you know, our reputation. So I told them, look, go to, no offense to business, no offense to come, go, go there. But you got to understand if, if you want to work in sport at any level, You've got to be willing. And I don't call it a sacrifice. What I call it is enjoyment to be able to say, hey, you're not sacrificing. You're doing something you want to do. How many people do you know in this world that are getting compensated and paid for doing what they truly want to do on an everyday basis? I tell students, look, you know, one of the great things about my job or working in sport that you get to work in something that you love. And the the fact of the matter is you're getting compensated for it over time. And so know this, you you, you may have to work for free. In fact, I know you're going to have to work for free, but it's not a sacrifice. It's allowing yourself to get the skills needed in order to get that first full-time job. And as a result, students got to realize, look, it, it, you know, you may say, well, I should get paid and this and that. Well, that's the mentality that you're putting the victim in saying, oh, well, you know, no, you're getting an opportunity to learn strategic marketing plans. You're getting a chance to work in a high profile athletic department. You're getting a chance to see and understand certain um, systems that you're getting exposed to, whether it's huddle, whether it's sport code, whether it's Pacula and thinking, whether, whether it's Photoshop, whether it's InDesign, be able to write your own press releases and sport. Those are the skills that are ultimately going to get you the job that's going to get you that first full-time. And I tell students too, your biggest challenge is getting that first full-time job in sport with benefits, with health insurance, than anything. Because once you get that first full-time job in sport, the likelihood that you'll be able to work in sport for the rest of your life is there until you decide, well, maybe this is not for me, or, you know, you may want to go in a different direction. So that those are the things I tell them. It's, it's not free because it was free 
everybody would understand that, you know what, I don't really understand. I, I want to get compensated for my skill. Then I tell them to go elsewhere because that's the reality of what our industry is about. That's a great, great advice. Now it's overtime. What book do you suggest aspiring sports administrators read? Well, obviously, you know, I would be selfish and, and foolish to say you got to read our book, Masters of the Game. Um, and, and only for the fact that, you know, there's if you want to work in sport or even thinking about working in a sport, this book, once you read it, will realize, wow, this is what you need to do to be GM. Wow, I'm a female and I've gone through this, this and this and I'm in the Hall of Fame is probably one of the best broadcasters in there. Well, these are the things that the, each chapter will identify in skills, what they need to take. And I think once you read it as a sport enthusiast or even a interest in working in sport, will come away and say, okay, I, I can do this. Or you'll say, oh, I, I don't know if I can do this. And, and so I, I think it's the book that I would really think that if you're thinking about even remotely working in sport, Master the Game is the book that you need to read. Okay. And what's been your best day as a professor? The best day is probably when I get a letter or when I get a, a former student giving me a call or when I get a, a student bringing their parents to come see me to say, you know, Dr. Pap, I just want to introduce you to my mom and dad or, or Dr. Pap, I just want to say thank you. If it wasn't for you pushing me or pushing me outside my comfort zone, I wouldn't be here today. And I just want to say thank you for all that you believed in me. And I want to say thank you for always supporting me because I just want you to realize I'm not always going to have that type of support. And I want you to know that you've made that positive impact in my life. And conversely, what's been your worst day as a professor? Well, you know, when you say worst, I, I try not to say worst. I think, you know, we all have different challenges in our job. Um, and But for me personally, I, I think... You know, when students come to me and they want a grade change after the fact, or why didn't I get this? Or, you know, how can I, you didn't give me this. And, and, and that's the part where I tell students, look, you know, it's not about me giving you, it's what you've earned. You knew from day one, what was required of you. You knew how to contact me. You know, I give up my cell phone. You know, you can talk to me anytime. And now you wait to the last day or even after class or grades are posted to ask me, what can I give you? To me, that's a sign of just not necessarily a worst day, but one day I say after I preach it every day and tell them how it is, when I have a student, even after that, still come to me can be somewhat of a challenge. Yeah. It, it amazes me the entitlement that <laughs> all students feel they're supposed to have an A in the course. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. What is your go-to inspirational quote? Well, you know, I, I've always said to this and, you know, you was thinking about, you know, uh, always give 100 percent, you know, just, you know, there's different quotes that get out to, you know, every day is going to be a great day. But uh, Martin Luther King said it best. And, and this is kind of where I felt for me personally really drove me understanding what this world's about. He, he says intelligence plus character. That is the goal of true education. And I've always believed that, you know, if you have good character and you're I don't necessarily you're born with that and, you know, and making the right decisions because what I tell students and just through my journey and my career is that if you do the right thing, you may not always get the results you were looking for. You may not always feel like, well, you know, I shouldn't know, but the truth will always come out. And what happens is by having the good character, 
plus the intelligence is truly what education is all about. And that's what I hope to instill our students and just to realize, just do the right thing. You may be compromised. You may say, but you have two choices. You can walk away or you say you're not going to do it. Or you just say, you know what, from a character perspective, that's not who I am. You may want to ask somebody else to do that. And so I, I think that's the quote that I kind of live by and have always tried to stay by, um, and especially in sport, because we're challenged every day. We're, we're pushed to the limits. But as long as you have true character with intelligence, that is what education is about. And what motivational movie do you suggest they watch? Wow. Motivational movie. You know, there was a movie my daughters introduced me called, I think it was Milk. Uh, it was Sean Penn was in it. And, 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 and for me, it talked about, you know, when we're born in this world, we have different challenges and we may have think that we have challenges in terms of, you know, whatever it might be mental or physical, but there's people out there in this world that have tremendous more challenges that I could even think of. And so when you watch this movie, you realize, Hey, wow, my life is golden compared to such and such. I I'm complaining about this and this person or woman is going through this. What am I feeling sorry for myself for? I I, I got two feet. I just met a guy who, who, uh, J.R. Harding. I just read his book. He's a professor here at Florida state. Um, he's a quadriplegic and, um, you know, he, he, reached out to me for lunch and, and, uh, he asked, um, for me to you know, be okay from tell a story. And here's a guy who's been in the wheelchair has no movement. Um, since he was 16 years old, he had an accident there. when he was in high school, uh, two of his friends picked him up, threw him onto the ground, broke his neck and, and, and he, and he goes, and the book is called now what, now what happens? And so, you know, mentally it, it wears you down. And, and obviously he's went through a lot of trivials and trials and, and he's a professor, ends up getting his doctorate, ends up becoming huge on um, American Disabilities Act here in the state of Florida and, and just has really been a huge push. And he, and he figured out, you know what? Yeah, I'm quadruped. I can complain. I can be sulking. I can, I, I can just you know feel sorry for myself all day long. But I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. And it's, it's my choice to decide how that's going to be done. And I can sit here and wallow or I can do something about it. And I think what I tell students is that, you know what? At the end of the day, you may feel sorry for yourself or you feel like you're a victim, but at the end of the day, there's only one person that can change that. And that's you. And just think, don't think for one minute that you are not blessed. I tell my students, look around this classroom. There's a lot of students that would want to be in your shoes today. And because of where you're at, think about the opportunities the future holds for you. And I just hope that I share that. And, and hopefully that helps, you know, resonate um, through that and, and through that book, uh, the book and the movie, Milk. Now, how can people reach you or follow you? Are you on social media? You know, I'm. A, it's interesting. I had to get, I'm, I'm one of those old school mentality. I, I, there's a purpose for social media. Obviously you want to get marketing and, and things. I, you know, for me personally, social media has not always been one that I, I took upon. I realized the value of it if done right. Um, but the biggest way that students can get a hold of me, I give out my cell phone. And, and the reason why I do that is that it takes time. You, you can email someone, you can try to uh, call them, you know, and leave a voicemail, but it takes time to develop a relationship. And by having the ability to communicate with someone one-on-one, um, I'm still old school with the telephone. I, or personally, I, I still do meetings. I, I set up meetings one-on-one to get to know the student, to get to know exactly what their passion is. So for me to get old students, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn is what I use for social media aspect. Um, I'm also, um, you know, at Florida State, jpappas at fsu.edu. My phone number uh, that anybody can get in contact with me is area code 850-728-9769. 
and just reach out. Um, and if you want to text me, that's fine too. Just say who you are. I'll make sure I, I follow up. Uh, if you want to, if you're in Tallahassee, you want to schedule a meeting to discuss multiple things about Florida state or just the sport industry, please do so. Um, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. LinkedIn, you can LinkedIn, see my profile and all that. But more importantly, if you do want to hear from me or you want information about sport in general, just please contact me through my phone. I give that out because I think it's important that you have that access because at the end of the day, we're here for students and, and we're here to help them. If we can't be accessible for them, then, then we're not able to do our job. Jason, thank you so much. You have been a wealth of information. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.